I don't really remember doing anything else. So I don't know that there was a, a conscious decision to be a musician. It was kind of like I started playing piano when I was four. My brother played piano. My brother played guitar. Kind of looked up to that. Um, I grew up in a school band and orchestra, playing violin, playing clarinet, playing in the drum line, doing the marching band, doing the, you know, so it was kind of like learning piano here and there, taking piano lessons. Um, so it's kind of like, was always that, you know? Um, I don't think there was a time that I was ever not interested or playing music. Um, and then of course, as a teenager, started playing in bands and, and, and doing that. And then spending probably like my high school years doing kind of more aggressive, more like, I don't know, teen angst or something like that, you know, that kind of music, um, just things that were really fun and they kind of exposed me to the world of, of possibilities of, I went on my first tour in high school, um, out to Michigan and back and kind of having that like experience. I grew up taking vacations with my family, but um, like setting out on my first tour in a van full of friends where we're all, you know, crammed into this little tiny van, all eight of us, not a single like empty seat or any kind of leg room or anything. And like having that first experience was just like kind of, I think a very life changing thing for me to kind of like actually decide that like, this is something that is accessible and something that I want to do and something I can work at and, and really shoot for. And how, how did you find your, your first gigs? And what were you playing during your first gigs? Um, I mean, first gigs were, were, it was a handful. I mean, when I think about it, it's really cool because there was a handful of venues around San Diego that were really embraced local music of all and I guess I'm going to say all ages because, you know, we were kids. We were like 15, 16 in bands and, you know, um, playing a show at 11 p.m. on a school, you know, or on like a Friday night or something. I don't know. It's just like those kinds of things that were really cool. Um, so it was like a lot of cafes. And in my mind, like in my memory of it, it's like there were really these like really cool like places with like lots of people and space and, I mean, not massive, but like I'm sure in reality it was just like a corner of a room or something like that. But um, it was also like a lot of things that we independently did ourselves, like uh, coffee shops at colleges, you know, putting on our own shows there, putting together, grabbing, you know, friends' bands and saying, hey, can we do this this night? And having some kind of door deal with the thing or, you know, with the, with the place uh, providing the show. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, there was like kind of a lot of like these little like local venues um, popping up all around San Diego um, in like the 30 mile radius, you know, or whatever it is of, of San Diego. So up in North County, out in East County and downtown all around. Um, There's just this like really strong local community and local music scene um, that was really supported and embraced by a lot of kind of DIY independent um, venues, you know. And so what would you describe as, or do you think that there was a, a big, a big break for you, like in, in your music career and with, with the album? Um, 
Yeah, I think it was. So there was a trajectory of, you know, so I, I was playing in these hardcore bands in high school, um, graduated, did like did that kind of stuff for like maybe um, another year or so or something like that. And then during that time met another group of people that lived in Michigan um, that ended up moving out to uh, San Diego. And we started a new project, a new band called Tristeza. And it was a instrumental, I guess, in lack of a better word, like post-rock kind of um, kind of bad band. Not bad band. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it was like guitar instrumental, you know, really atmospheric, kind of like, kind of uh, is the first, you know, was what I was, like, the music that I was drawn to and things that I was, like, really inspired by. Like, playing in hardcore bands and stuff like that was was really fun and great at the time, but it definitely, like, wasn't, like, my my heart or, like, my, you know, actual, um, the actual thing that I wanted to, I could see myself doing for the rest of my, you know, life, for example. Um, so when I was playing in that band, Tristeza, we kind of, you know, gained our own traction just by... DIY touring over and over and over again. Um, we would just leave and go on tour for six weeks. I had like a, you know, a, um, just I had this notebook full of contacts in all these little cities all across the states and into Canada. And I would just literally, during my job at the movie theater, you know, when the movie was showing, I would use the payphone in the in the lobby um, with this little device that hacked <laughs> hacked it so that I could it thought that it was getting money and it wasn't. You would just like. It says like oh, I mean seventy five cents. So you push the button three times, so it's three quarters and that kind of thing. Um, wow. But I would like book these tours, and we just were always kind of you know working and working and working. Um, and I really think that like the first kind of break that I had was being noticed by a new um, online uh, music distribution startup that was called InSound out of New York, and they were kind of the first um, online music distributor so you know you had like your independent labels and things like that that so you know once the internet started happening had their own like mail order you know within but then they also started using like these um it was i mean of course the majors probably had their things then but this was like more of an independent level you know um online distributor and they started to do this thing called the tour support series um and they asked my band Tristeza um, to be their first tour support series. And basically what the tour support series was, was we went in and recorded, you know, X amount of songs, gave them the masters. They then printed the CDs, gave us 500 for us to just have. And then they kept 500 to sell on the site. And so that was kind of their tour supporting us. So they put up all the money and gave us 500 CDs, go out and sell them every night on tour. Um, that series went on and on and on, and then that same um, with other bands and stuff like that that they were supporting, um, and then those same that same crew of people started their own started a record label, um, and that was kind of the first time for me that I was actually kind of embraced as a solo artist um, for the album leaf, because during that time with Tristez, I started the album leaf as kind of like a filler of of songs that wouldn't make that didn't fit for Tristeza or just it didn't work or for whatever reason or just things that I would just write on my own. Um, and they actually gave me a deal, you know, and gave me some money to buy my first computer and recording gear and microphones and speakers and just kind of like start to build my own, you know, little home studio, which 
essentially was a desk with a computer, a little mixing board, one microphone, and these two really cheap monitor speakers, you know. Um, but so I made that, and then I made my first, and then I made this, my second record under that, which was uh, One Day I'll Be On Time. It was released in 2001. And so being on that label obviously gave me bigger exposure with distribution worldwide. Um, and that record eventually fell into the hands of uh, the band Sigaros in Iceland um, at their record store. And they were coincidentally looking for support on, um, I think it was their very first US tour. It might have been their second, but I think it was the first, um, which ended up in them inviting me to um, support them on their first tour. And, and in many, you know, in many years after that, touring and, and collaboration, and mm -hmm. and they, um, you know, were you were you a fan of theirs before they? they I hadn't got heard touch? of them. You hadn't heard of them touch. before they got yeah. touched. I hadn't heard of them. And they, their career must have, you know, from the first time you supported them. Yeah. Did, I guess their career was taking. An, their career was taking off, yeah, because it was immediately in bigger. You know, at that time for me, I was playing in, I don't know, 150, 200 cap, like kind of clubs you know around the states um and that was their first tour and that tour ranged from you know 500 or probably like yeah like 500 to like probably 5,000 um, seat theaters you know um depending on the city so that was a big exposure a big thing for me um to kind of be on that and also a very great solid friendship um made and also Kind of a presentation model that I've that I think you know since then I've always had some kind of visual element, some kind of production, some kind of you know thing to accompany and you know be a part of the show, where it's just not people on stage playing playing instruments. You know, I always want to have some kind of you know addition, something else, some production. You know, and so that started way back in two thousand one, and it was basically kind of from. That was the first time that I had toured with a band um, and been exposed to like someone who put on a show, you know, and like had multiple elements and not just the house guy, you know, running lights and doing things like yeah. that. So kind of when I started to, I guess, give a shit about, you know, putting presenting show. a show, putting yeah. on a show, yeah. What, how, how did you come up with the name, the album, Lou? Um, so after I graduated high school, I started taking piano lessons again. Um, and picked up a Chopin book and it was a title in that book. So right. that's basically how, how, how it was and it just kind of stuck. <laughs> so nothing really solid behind it, but like, It is just know. a great name. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, so the first time I ever heard the album Leaf was hearing the Outer Banks and mm -hmm. 2214 in the OC. Uh, what did you think of the OC and did, you know, did you find that that show kind of brought brought you quite a lot of new fans? Yeah, so that's kind of where the trajectory went um, after that. So I had uh, made that record, you know, experienced a little bit of more exposure on that record. Um, and then while I was beginning to make that record in a safe place, um, that was after my friendship with Sigaros and they had invited me over to use their studio. Um, so I started commuting and going back um, and forth. I did it over a period of like six months, I think. Um, back and forth making that record. Um, and then Sub Pop got on board to release that record, um, which then 
gave me even more exposure and, and that's pretty much kind of when my career shift happened where you know all of a sudden I kind of was up to here and I was kind of somebody that was talked about um, and yeah I mean, that's definitely where it happened and the help of the thing about the OC I feel is the OC was an era um, of uh, licensing um, yeah. that exposed a lot of bands to a lot of people you know it was kind of a change in uh, TV sync licensing so I think that show you know kind of put bands like Death Cab for Cutie and Modest Mouse and uh, maybe even Jimmy World, I can't remember. Like all, yeah, yeah. all of the bands I mean, that were even on the killers that show. in the early days. Exactly. They so. developed a whole. I yeah. mean, it was, to be honest, it was more about the music than the actual right. yeah. plot. And Alexander I, Pat Sadas was a great like music yes. supervisor. Yes, yes. Um, still a great music yeah, supervisor. Yeah, yeah. They had Chop Shop Records. Yeah. yeah, she's responsible for another big usage of mine in uh, the TV show Scandal. Um, but um, what, what track? What track was the light? Be? It was like, used yeah. in Scandal, like over multiple episodes, and kind of turned into the theme between Fitz and um, Ollie. I hear it, Oliver. Is that what it is? Um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, kind of this whole phenomenon that separates me from the song, actually, in a way, because there's a lot of people that like make their own videos about that song, you know, and it's just not, it's just mentioning the power of that song in relation to the characters and not, you know, I actually wrote it, you know, so that kind of thing. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool like thing that's going on with that. But, um, but yeah, so that show, I definitely um, that and Napster um, were kind of like big exposure points. Um, and so, definitely. so with Napster, you know, I actually just saw two people from Metallica outside a coffee shop, which kind of reminds me of that whole. Oh yeah, Lars yeah. Ulrich fighting okay. Napster thing. You can't, you can't. I mean, you can't say Napster without thinking about Metallica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so who'd you see? Uh, it was Kirk Hammett and oh. Robert Trujillo. Nice. And I just, I, yeah, double to it. But so, so yeah. with with that, it's it's like you've mentioned Napster, and I think I've heard, I think I heard Ed Sheeran saying, you know, he, his music gets shared by BitTorrent, and and you know, not kind of minding that. Did did. Did you mind people sharing your music? Never. Yeah, I've never minded it. Um, Why is that? Because it's ex it's exposure. It's, it's just going to happen anyway. Well. Yeah. It's um. I don't know. I mean, I understand the argument of being paid for your art, being paid for you know, um, all of that. But I feel like it's not really the little guys. The little guys aren't the ones making the argument. You know, it's like the little guys that need the exposure. The ones like us that like started and got exposed by file sharing and, and, and you know, illegal downloading or whatever it is. Um, and even now streaming, you know, um, like the Spotify's and those and the DSP giants of the world. Um, you know, the, the ones complaining about it are the big, the big, the big bands that it doesn't even... Wouldn't you know, cross your mind to yeah, say. Yeah, and they have that power and that reach and that, you know, and maybe the trickle down is that they're fighting for us as well to get a better royalty rate for the you know for the little guys too. But you know, I don't know. Um, I've always been a supporter of it because I feel like it only if you know the cycle of that. If you think about you download somebody's music, you listen to it, you like it, um, you see that that band's coming through on tour, you buy a ticket. 
go to the show. There's money for the band. You know, you, you watch the thing, and then after the show, you buy the T-shirt. There's money to the band. So what you did was, you know, something that I couldn't have done without the help of that first illegal download or whatever, or download. You know, it's a, it's a, it's exposure. So to me, it's always been something that's a positive. So you, so you don't, you don't have any kind of, by the sounds of things, resentment, for, and you just accept this as this yeah. is the business model. Like yeah. you release the music, and that's kind of almost marketing as it as, as it yeah were. i mean there's plenty of people buying it at the same time yeah. you know so it's like if it's if it's just being shared and if it's just out there um that's better than it being than it not you know if you could describe uh the album leaf's music <laughs> how would you describe it to people who hadn't heard it before it's um i it's funny because my wife I, she sees me get asked this question so many times and I'm always like ah you know, I was like uh, so it's I don't know I tend to say it's electronic atmospheric cinematic kind of prettyish it is <laughs> um, mellow music that's kind of what I what I say I guess because I don't feel like I don't feel like it has a specific uh, genre, I guess. I don't know. No, it, def like, it yeah. definitely doesn't. I know that I'm called post-rock, which I just can't stand like over and over yeah, again. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like there is a post-rock genre and that is a strong genre, but I just don't see what I do in that genre. You know, So it's, but everybody needs a label for something. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't. Do you, do you write the music all on piano? No. Synthesizers no. Or, or yeah. Do you spread out? I spread out like whatever. Yeah, whatever happens. Really, um, could be bass lines, could be piano melodies, could be chords, could be drum beats. Um, and do you just do you hear melodies in your head and then think, all oh, right, I better go over to this instrument, or or do you just kind of say, right, yeah. today I'm going to songwrite and just see what happens? The process is kind of changed here and there through the years, depending on like software that I like use, like written in the last probably eight years, um, started using a program called Ableton, which is kind of a more um, and really easy program to write with, songwrite with. Um, so it can start with a lot of different things. And just kind of like, I could be sampling stuff and chopping up things and then creating a new sound and making a synth out of that new sound, you know, stretching it and then just kind of, a, you know, just things kind of get inspired by, I guess, at the heart of it, it's just all sounds, you know. And so just, yeah, sometimes it's melodies and... It's, so it's different every time. It's, yeah, it's different every time. And because so, you mentioned earlier the importance of having that visual element to your mm -hmm. shows. Um, I guess, like, personally speaking, the album Leaf, I just find to be, you know, your music is re really good to enjoy, you know, almost like solitary with headphones or, you know, when you can actually, like, listen to it properly without right. someone sort of chatting over it or whatever. Yeah. Um, does that make playing shows hard for you, you know, kind of style of music? Do you, do you find, and, and how is it with, with audiences? Do you find audiences are just kind of like quite chilled? How, yeah. What, what's, what's the difficulty with, is, is there a difficulty with putting on a show compared to your sort of, you know, 
your, your morality affair. Yeah, I put a lot of thought into shows, and I have a, a lot of thought about how the song, like set list, and how the songs go in and out of each other, and how the visuals build, and how the lighting builds, and how everything kind of is presented, um, how it sounds, um, what's you know needs to be played that's not being played, what's you know what person needs to, it just I, it's it's a lot of thought and. Um, I try to be as true to the sonic quality of the records as I can live. Um, and songs can change live as far as like length or structure or you know, maybe this part's extended or maybe this intro's longer or something like that, but eventually get there and get into the song. But I, you know, once things get to where they get, I definitely want to make sure that it's you know, top notch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sonically too, you know, because I, I do, yeah, like I, for a long, I mean, I do a lot of mixing in headphones because I feel I make, I feel like I make records to be listened to on headphones and yeah. that's kind of the thing too. Like I take a lot of, you know, thought, put a lot of thought into panning and, and, and width and stereo and where, you know, just kind of like where things are and you're in, in a, in a song or in a, in a record um, when you're on headphones, so. Yeah, I definitely feel like your music is best enjoyed on, on headphones. It is, but I'd love to love to see a show because it does sound yeah, <laughs> it does sound really cool. Yeah. Um, so, what are your favorite album leaf songs? Oh man, I mean 20, 20, uh, 20, 20, 14 is, uh, is such. And writings on the wall. Those are those are the ones that I like. I could never stop playing. Cool. I've been listening to yeah. them for well over ten years now. Yeah. When did they come out? When uh, 2014 was 2004, 2004 yeah. and Brighton's Noel was 2006 or seven, six or seven, six, I think. Yeah, seven. Uh, yeah, so it's been like <laughs> nearly 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, it's a pretty large catalog. And they I, still I sound really fresh, like compared That's to anything about, else. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm always like a perpetually a fan of or, or most inspired by whatever I've done last, you know, whatever's yeah. new for me. But um, I don't know, like old catalog stuff, Windows are really, uh, the first song in a safe place is a really simple special song for me. Um, um, the Light. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, falling from the sun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> They're all. It's like saying, like, "What's your favorite kid?" You know? Yeah, exactly. Know. It's it's it is really that generic of a of a comparison, you know, to me. But <laughs> and I, I guess I guess you make you know you really do make albums, right? And yeah, people should really go out and listen to the full record. Yeah, I'm trying to reprogram myself, failing, failing at it, but of just releasing songs. I would like to just release songs just because really? I feel like that's, well, I just feel like that's like the way to keep attention nowadays to kind of stay up and, and, and be the, relevant. And if, especially when it's me, society's exactly. ADD, so that's why I'm not really, I haven't really been able to partake in it. And I, cause I do still love the art of presenting a front to back piece of, of a record. I really love Phil Collins. And you know, <laughs> so do I. And he, he Bill Collins did a lot of did a lot of drumming and a lot of records that he's not recognized for. Um, yeah, one of the best is, drummers of all time. Yeah, yeah. Incredible um, drum sounds as yes. well. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, easy lower. Maybe one of the best. Uh, ones. Yeah. <laughs> and he cut all of those. He cut a lot of his. I think. Yeah, a lot of the great records at the Village in um, in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's amazing to see all those. Yeah. Those records on the wall there. But uh, yeah, he's yeah. he's definitely he comes in. He comes under a, or he came under a lot of fire in the nineties from like right. from from the like Britpop resurgence. Yeah. Uh, from bands like Oasis and stuff, they they sort of said, you know, we hate Phil Collins and all that. But I just think he's he's a yeah. wonderful artist and he's, a incredible drummer. Yeah, it's a has such a career. I think in the '90s, yeah, like you were saying, maybe that's that was the start of it, where it was just, you know, and goes out of fashion. Yeah, and then like in the air tonight, got like you know the perfect placement or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, it did. It is, you know, yeah. Then that that again, yeah. like drum sound. Yeah, yeah. totally. One of my favorite things too, I don't know if you've seen them going around where they say, if you start in the air tonight at yada, 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 like whatever time code, then the drum fill happens right on New Year's, like <laughs> on the countdown. Like you start it there and it's like, doo, 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 happy New Year. <laughs> well, that's how I'm going to start 2020. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jimmy. Yeah, it's been really you. good to meet you. Definitely. Speak Thanks to you. for having me.